0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com.
1: Hey, you there? Hey. What's, What's up? cool? Uh, just that I'm looking at a TV screen with you on it. <laughs> yep, that's how video works. Uh, it's crazy. I uh, yeah. Usually Gordon's the one who looks at the screen. I'm just like off to the side. Wait, are you're usually in the room when
0: we do the show? Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And Tony from Boston. And this is Build Phase. Welcome back. Thanks. To
1: the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's been a while. I know. I think it was last WWDC when we did the roundtable. I was on it once with Gordon too, like a couple of weeks ago when you couldn't make it. I think you were on vacation. You took a vacation or something. Oh, right. Okay, my apologies. I did not listen to that episode apparently. <laughs> no worries. We were talking about like pop-ins and uh refactoring something in swift huh anyways are you surviving the week after dub dub i was gonna ask you
0: the same thing (laughs) that was was my lead-in question Um, damn yeah i'm weaning myself off of the alcohol yeah you can't you can't just stop cold turkey i have i have places to be and things to do you have to (laughs) tony is holding up a beer all day ipa (laughs) <laughs> wait is that what it's called yeah. I can see it. <laughs> yeah okay
1: yeah um yeah same thing i uh it felt good coming back and not drinking every night but i think i made it till wednesday night thursday night maybe and then i had to have a few but that was also because we had ns coder night last night so i feel like i just have to have a couple with everyone
0: you know what i don't even think i took a day off <laughs> <laughs> now, now that i think about it Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's,
1: yeah, that's, wow. I'm impressed. I should should stop. That's nothing to be proud of. (laughs) I guess that was like college days, though, right? And then now I guess we're adults. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, that was Disney days. Disney days. Oh, I keep forgetting you worked at
0: Disney instead of going to college. (laughs) It's Uh, like school, but it's like the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Because you wear stupid outfits. And you deal with angry guests. <laughs> that doesn't sound too fun. But equal amounts of partying. So what have you been working on this week? Writing new stuff in Swift. Doing lots of refactoring mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's been nice not having it be WWDC week and I can get back into the flow. Have you uh, Have you made any thoughts or have
1: you started attempting any Swift 2?
0: No, I have not even opened Xcode 7. Uh. So I haven't done any of that yet. Well, I do have a question for you. Is Swift 2 going to work on iOS 8 if you're targeting iOS 8?
1: I don't know 100%. I think, I think Swift 2 will, but I think that some of the APIs, obviously, like we still have some issues with the framework APIs, right? Like like UI testing, I think, isn't going to be iOS 8, you know? that's
0: Yeah, that's what I heard. UI testing is iOS 9. But I just mean, can I start writing Swift 2 code and have it work or are you saying that there may be a problem because we need the um the objective c framework apis to kind of update themselves as well like are there swift features that depend on objective c generics
1: um as far as i know i think the objective c generics were added to help between compatibility with swift like between interoperability but not necessarily it's not like depending on it you know okay Okay. So it is safe to start using throws and guards. Yes, as far as I know. Protocol extensions. Because even now, like, the Swift runtime is kind of bundled up with your app when you send it up there. Right. And so I think that, I think they did that part because, like, they knew it was going to be changing and they wanted to make sure that whatever version you compiled your app with was with your app. Okay, cool. That's good to know. I'm assuming that it will go back as far as iOS 7 since iOS 7 did support Swift 1. Mm -hmm. But... I'm not entirely sure. I assume they have to have eight compatibility. That would be weird if they just were like, nope, nine only. So That would be terrible. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are you on a project right now or uh, are you still working on,
1: on Poppins? So no project right now, but did some Poppins work this week? In fact, the only thing I did this week was we actually got rejected from the store for a little UI crash. Uh, so this week was kind of like fixing that and resubmitting. What so, was the issue? So we have a collection view. And the images being displayed in the collection view, when you tap and hold on one of them, it opens it up, right? Kind of like how Snapchat works, but it just like gives you a more detailed view of the GIF. It actually opens the GIF full screen and plays it. Um, and then as soon as you let go, it goes away, right? So the issue was the code that we had in place for that was trying to get the frame of the cell at the touch point when the gesture recognizer fired. But if you weren't actually touching a cell, the frame would be nil. And I was explicitly unwrapping the frame. And I think I was doing that like during debugging just to try to get it working and just completely forgot to undo that. And so I just had to change it to, you know, that question mark unwrap and do a flat map into a function. So, uh, okay.
0: So it sounds like the issue was that you put the gesture recognizer on the collection view itself instead of each cell having its own. That's what I did. Yeah. Okay. So if you happen to, touch down in between the cells in the in the padding yep you'd have an invalid frame right got it
1: so i'm not sure if that's like maybe i should have had a touch gesture recognizer on each on each uh cell but it seems like a lot of extra objects yeah i think
0: Um, mm, i would have done it your way
1: yeah okay cool
0: man good on them for finding that one like i wonder (laughs) if it was just an accident or they they were really like i wonder what happens like if i
1: Oh, actually, you know what? That wasn't the reason it crashed. So, okay, so there were that was a crash I found. Sorry, yeah, I know, I know. That was a crash that I found like the day after I submitted. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, they're probably going to find that and reject. But they actually didn't find it. They found a different crash. Sorry, now that I'm remembering. This particular crash that they found was, so the way Poppins imports images is if you go to a website and you hold down on an image, it brings up the Safari copy or save photo uh, action sheet. And those are the only two options you get. So if you copy it and you open up Poppins, Poppins will recognize that something's in your pasteboard and that something is an image and will ask you if you want to import that image. And so when you say yes, uh, you can name it and then you can say you know, save and it will sync it to Dropbox. But when it first uh, loads it into the collection view after that save, it hasn't finished syncing with Dropbox yet. And so we don't have the public share URL to the image. And so, if you tap on the image before you get that public share URL, it tries to open the share sheet, and part of the share sheet is trying to get that share URL, and it was a non-optional property in Core Data, so it was causing a fault, and just crashing, bad access, right? Hmm. And so that's what happened: is the uh, the tester at Apple, you know, imported an image and then tapped on it immediately to try to share it, and it just crashed. So I basically just had to make that an optional property in. The database and then do the same thing optionally unwrap it
0: so you make the record in core data before you've even sent it off to dropbox instead of sending it off and then letting it finish and adding it then
1: yeah so we were talking about this um when we were doing the work and we decided it'd be a better experience if the image immediately showed up after you imported it and at the time we were working on a branch that didn't have this share url stuff so it wasn't an issue Uh, And so we decided that we'll just show it, and then next time the user opens up the app, it will kind of finish its syncing. Um, And everything will be fine. It will kind of be transparent to the user. And so we were saving the core data uh, managed object, right? Basically, because the collection view is also monitoring uh, the managed object context. And when something changes, when things are saved, uh, it will update the collection view. And so we have to save the object to have that automatic uh, updating in the collection view happen. And so we filled the object. And actually, the branch we were working on didn't even have that share URL property in the, in the managed object. So when we kind of merged all the branches, it didn't necessarily need to be set. I don't know why it wasn't crashing. I'm not really sure why. But um, it was crashing when we tried to pull it out afterward. So, mm. uh, so I just had to make it optional. Everything was fine. So I pushed that up for review yesterday so hopefully uh hopefully we get it in next week so you were actually rejected so you you're back in
0: the you're back at the end of the line i think so for review yeah i guess that's how it works
1: right i've honestly never had an app rejected
0: yeah i guess sometimes they will send you some kind of notice like if there's something wrong but i guess that's typically non-binary stuff related like a crash is going to bounce you out immediately Um, I I have seen notices before where it's just still in review and they say, you need to update your description or like there's something wrong with your metadata. So and then you just kind of change it and they go and look and go, okay, you're good. Okay, cool. Yeah. But you're going to have to submit a new binary anyway. So,
1: yep. Right. Exactly. So that was actually a very small part of my week. Uh, The rest of my week was very Haskell oriented. Basically, uh, Gordon was trying to do some Haskell work this week and had a lot of trouble setting up Haskell because Haskell isn't really great for, you know, OS 10 computers. So uh, he was having a ton of trouble and he was getting really frustrated with the tooling. And so um, Joe Ferris and myself kind of decided to make this thing easy because we don't want people to be uh, shy away from Haskell projects or, you know, messing around with Haskell because the tooling sucks. So uh, we wanted to look into uh, Docker. Have you ever used Docker? I think so. So it's basically like VMs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of set up a VM uh, just as you would as it, as it would look on the server. So you can compile on your assets and all your um, dependencies as it was on the server you'll eventually deploy to. So you don't have to recompile later on. And you kind of just bundle up that, uh, that VM and kind of just push that VM to Heroku. And Heroku has recently added Docker support, so you can kind of build a slug, or there's a command for it to build a slug and upload that slug. And you can use, you can have a base Docker image, a base Docker VM that is the same thing Heroku uses. So you can kind of start with the same base Heroku image and build on that. That's awesome. So it's really cool, because once you get it working, it's just a few Docker commands to create a project and to run it. And then you can have it running on your local computer in the VM while being able to edit it on your main computer. So, cause you can mount your drive to the VM. And so the drive or the VM that's running the watch program that's watching for files to change and recompiling and stuff can still pick up the mounted stuff. So you can mm-hmm. change it with your local file system. So you can still use your V your like, you know, if you want to use Vim or whatever, and it will pick up the changes um, and redo, redo the compile and everything. So it made it a lot easier and we're getting to the point where it's just about done. And we're going to write up some documentation on how to do it. And that will be really nice because the Haskell projects will be so easy because everyone will just use the same setup, right? It won't matter what machine you're on.
0: Yep. So if I'm starting from scratch, how long would it take me to, be, to get the environment set up and like, be in there and like
1: writing Haskell? Maybe like five minutes depending on how savvy you are. with. Honestly, as a Mac user, you have to install this thing called Boot2Docker, which is another VM that can host Docker because Docker actually can't run on Mac, uh, Mac OS X. And then you install Docker, and then you say boot to Docker up. Basically, then you just say Docker and Docker like ThoughtBot slash Yesode in it, and that will create a new project. And then you can say Docker Compose up, and your project's running. So it's pretty That's quick. Cool. Um, you have to make some files, but the default files that we give you in the, in the kind of readme are all you need. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to be really earlier, nice. in,
0: earlier in the year, you know, I was sitting next to one of one of the designers and they were working on Carnival. Yep. And they were trying to get the environment set up. It took two days. <laughs> like two, I, I don't know what could possibly take that long. I, you know, and I believe that these are smart, competent people like setting this up mm-hmm.
1: just two days down to five minutes. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So we used to use this thing called Halcyon or Halcyon. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. And it does kind of that dependency management stuff where you compile your dependencies once and it will upload those compiled dependencies to S3. And then so anyone on the same type of machine that you are on just downloads the dependencies instead of recompiling them. And so that mm-hmm. saves a lot of time. And so we were using Halcyon, but it again, it's just like a pain to set up on a Mac. Um, it's meant for like Linux. So you know, we used to have Pat and uh, Joe who were working on Carnival, and they could just, you know, they're they, they both on Linux machines, so it was really easy for them or easier for them to set up than it was for Gordon. Poor Gordon. He was like two days just in the in the hurt locker.
0: I, I was I was getting a lot of messages from him <laughs> just filled with the most despair that I think I, I've ever heard come from Gordon, especially just about computers. <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't give up easily. He's not as easily frustrated with computers as I am. <laughs> Like he sticks with it for better or for worse.
1: And he was just, he was just done. He went on vacation at the right time, I think. Yeah. He pretty much like left yesterday and was like, yeah, you won't hear from me for a week. I was like, that's totally, yep. I expect that. Go have fun. Just fully unplugging. Yeah. He sent a tweet out earlier today. He was like, don't do anything fun, guys. I'm literally going to be off Twitter for a week. That's good. You need that. Is he going on a cruise? Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah, I think this is the cruise. Yeah, yeah, he is going on a cruise. That's right. To, to where? He thought somewhere south. Well, that <laughs> Yes, those things are south <laughs> from um, Boston. When I was asking him, he was like, Bahamas, Bermuda, Caribbean, something like that. So I don't even think he knew, really. Okay. I think he's a- getting on a boat. A- yeah, he's getting on a boat. He's, you know, going to the bar. I'm sure. Is he just... even sure it's a cruise ship? Is it just <laughs> some boat? I, I kind of like the idea of him just walking onto a random, like, small, like, obviously small, not a cruise ship boat, and just taking off. And just asking where the bar is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, he doesn't well, really there's
0: care. There's no bar. And be like, well, do you, do you have alcohol? Like, yes. <laughs> He's like, that's fine.
1: Yeah. Sweet. Where is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anything new at Venmo? mm.
0: No, not much to report.
1: Yeah. Did you by any chance see uh, that issue on Argo about the try, the throws and the try? Uh, I'm looking this up. One moment. So about like Monday or Tuesday, I decided to rewrite Argo with the new try, throw, catch syntax um, just to see what it would look like. And I submitted a PR Not that it will be merged in immediately or that we'll even ever merge it in, but uh, more just to see the diff. And there's things I liked about it and things I didn't like about it, but I think fundamentally it's very different than what Argo has always been. It's not really functional anymore. I think it's lost a little bit of its power, but it's more Swift-like, I guess. If you were to say Swift-like is how... You know, the Swift team is, is, I guess, the direction they're going in with the try-throw stuff.
0: Okay. What's the high-level change here?
1: Uh, so we got rid of the decoded type class, or I guess just the type. And so we were using the decoded type earlier as kind of a result-like type where it either succeeded or failed. But there were two different types of fail cases. And we used a decoded type because we wanted to give more context around why something failed if it did. Um, but also so you could unwrap that type into some of your own custom types. So if you wanted to use a result, you could overload this global uh, decode function to return a result instead of a decoded. And you could use the information within decoded to basically instantiate your result. So we, we made this type decoded. I think we used it mostly because we'd, it would mean we didn't have to depend on any result. And we had our own kind of internal one um, that was just minimal. And, then, and you needed more cases. What's
0: that? And you you wanted more cases in that a, a decode operation could fail in more ways than you could express in like a in a maybe or or an either rather, right? right. It, it's not just success or failure. It's success or there's an error because there was a type mismatch or there was an error because there was a missing key, right? Right. All okay. right. What's exactly. Generic type constraint.
1: Right. So there were three possible states for this decoded success type mismatch, uh, missing key. But actually, I think, you know, after dub-dub, we kind of realized that, oh, we could have just used a result and that error failure state could have just been an enum of those two different errors. so And someone even suggested that to us um, and we thought about it. So anyways, the change in this particular PR is getting rid of that decoded altogether and just putting throws everywhere, which it kind of looks like a virus where it kind of goes out and dirties all of your code. Because you have to write throws almost everywhere to make everything type compatible. But it was able to get rid of the decoded type. So we got rid of pretty much using that, pretty much got rid of all of the functional programming concepts. right? Because now we don't need to have curried initializers anymore. So before we were doing that create, and you'd have to kind of manually write a curried initializer for each of the model objects that conformed. And so we, ha- we could get rid of that now because we didn't need to use fmap or we didn't use map and flat map and apply to form the models. We could just use a bunch of try statements, and if any of them failed, it would throw an error and just bail early that way. Awesome. That's nice. So like it that. was nice. Yeah, we didn't have to use – we got rid of the create functions. We got rid of the special decoded type, and technically it's, like, more Swift-like, I guess, because it's using this try-throw syntax. Mm-hmm. But – Argo was supposed to be a functional JSON parser and it's like it's not that you know that's not what it is I think
0: Argo was supposed to be a JSON parser that works within Swift's type system and the fact that it was functional was just sort of incidental in trying to make that work nicely so I think positioning it as a functional JSON parser is like I don't know like you don't need to play up that it's functional like no one really cares as long as it parses (laughs) your JSON nicely and you have types and swift is happy
1: right right so i think that we're kind of on the fence about whether we want to do this or not for those reasons because we really like gordon and i being kind of into this functional haskell world liked the way it looked and liked the way it acted and it actually does have a little bit more power using that decoded type you can, as things get more complicated, you can do some fancier stuff like caching, how the decoding works. And so when you try to decode the same key again, it doesn't need to actually do it. It can just reach in the, cra- in the cache. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that the Haskell uh, library that, we, um, that inspired this, ASON, works. It does that caching. So there are some more powerful things you can do if you keep that decoded type and you keep it functional. But, you know, it's like, do we keep going that way because we like it or do we do more of the Swift thing because that's what Swift is going to be like from now on. And we don't even know, like when they open source Swift, maybe it does get more functional because maybe some people who are into that, you know, make PRs and the Swift team are okay with that. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, we don't have to rehash the air handling because I think Gordon did a very thorough rant <laughs> on this, on this last week, but this does seem like something that could change and it could change soon. Right. Like, maybe before Swift 2 is out of beta, like maybe it's before it's official, Swift 2.1, it, it seems like there's a lot of pushback on how this error handling works. And it does seem like a stopgap, right? Because mm-hmm. in Foundation, where, you're, where they're mostly applying like this, this method, there is just one error type. It's just NS error. It's folks writing these pure Swift applications that have a problem with it because it completely obfuscates the any actual error type that they would want to that they would want to throw. Right. So I think I'm always going to go down the path of like I wouldn't fight the language. I like this. I like that I like that decode now returns a pure non-optional type T. I think that's awesome that it's it's not wrapped up in this, you know, decoded mm-hmm. um, enum. Mm-hmm. I'm still just skimming this. I think I think it's cool that you can leverage the language to like bubble those errors up through and not have to you know have a like a curried function anymore to create them, right I think that's
1: another win yeah, so I think we're kind of waiting to see what happens because like you said, we're beta one, and I think all the pushback we had could change could change how this works, especially with the types like the, I think the biggest complaint from people is that with this try catch stuff, you really don't have any guarantee about the type of the error that you're catching. It's kind of all guessing. And so I think it'd be nicer to have at least that be type-safe so you know what you need to be catching for and you're handling all the possible cases. Yep. I can't disagree with that. So we'll see. But, yeah, it's an interesting kind of little interesting exercise on uh, it's changing over from uh, Argo in, in the functional world to Argo in, like, the Swift error state world. Do you expect to just keep this PR open? Well, Swift 2 is in the beta period? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this PR is actually um, against the Swift 2 branch, not master. So, yeah, I'll keep it open. And as things change, I'll I'll update it. Um, And then when it comes time for the release of Swift 2, we'll really consider whether we're going to do it or not. Awesome.
0: Yeah. We'll throw a link to this uh, in the show notes. Cool. Is there anything else about Swift 2 that you're excited about? I'm writing a lot of Swift these days. I haven't touched Swift 2 at all. I know high level about some of the stuff that's been added. Um, I want to get your take on it.
1: Yeah, I think just some of the general fixes, I think Xcode 7 and just the source kit, I think all of it's just going to be less buggy. And I think I'm just more excited for Swift to just be smoother in general. And some of the things they fixed like multi-value enums, not needing to have box anymore, that's a big win. I really am interested in all this protocol extension stuff they're doing. I think you know they added the default implementations for protocols and the the ability to extend protocols but also add some like case statements to those extensions you can say like extend um collection type where something is equal to something else so you can kind of filter on the protocol extensions and that makes me hopeful that eventually that will work for non protocols and you'll be able to extend something like array and you'll be able to say extend array conforming to decodable for instance where generator.element is also decodable that's like the one more step i'm waiting for once we get once we can do that that will like eliminate half the code we have in our agro can you can explain
0: that a little more so you would have an array and the array would be filled up with objects that conform to decodable okay so now you have a, a decodable array Okay what does that what do those type constraints on a protocol extension get you or how do they save you code in Argo?
1: So when you're extending a protocol, you can extend a protocol to conform to another protocol, but you can't extend a generic type to conform to a protocol and also filter or I guess select on when it conforms. So right now you could say uh, you can say extend collection type where element is decodable or something like that but you can't say extend array decodable where generator.element is also decodable. And being able to do that would allow us to... Um, so we have a bunch of code in Argo that's basically you know, mapping through arrays and calling decode on each one. And we're assuming the item inside of the array is decodable since like you're using our library, so it's decodable because it's a JSON But we could take out all that code because I guess it's like in the operators, we're saying, you know, decode this JSON into this object, right? But if that object, if the JSON is an array, it won't decode it because the array doesn't conform to decodable right now. But if the JSON was, say, a string, it will just decode it because string implements decodable but we can't right. make array implement decodable because we could we would want it to only work if everything inside the array was also decodable i get it but we can't specify that so we can't make array conform to decodable and we can't make it we can't implement this decode function for array because we can't guarantee that the items inside the array are decodable and then we can't call decode on them so we can't do that is it not possible to
0: extend collection type and then also extend array to conform to that extension of collection type and do the same thing
1: so i don't think so um i haven't tried it i attempted the collection type thing but i don't think it would actually help in this particular case because i don't remember exactly why i did try it and it just didn't help out very much but also i think the other limiting factor is you still can't have public extensions on generic types conforming to a protocol so you can't say extend array uh, that conforms to decodable public. You can't make that public. You can do it internally, but you can't do it public. So there's like two barriers we have right now. There's the one that you can't have a public extension to a generic type that conforms a protocol. And then you can't have like the decoded where the elements are decodable too. So got it. Got it. But I am excited about how they added all this stuff for extensions and protocols because it makes me believe that they'll eventually get there. So that stuff's exciting. Um I also I'm not sure how I feel about all the keywords they added. They so they added the, you know, guard let syntax, which I actually like uh in the sense that I can now do early bail instead of having all the happy path code go through an if let, but I don't necessarily like if lets that much. And so guard is like it's a it's great that I can do that now, but I would have rather had I don't know if if that stuff was more functional, I guess I get back to the functional stuff again. But yeah, it just feels weird like being able to do if let and then have like three or four statements all kind of below each other that are, you know, what I'm my kind of conditions for getting in that if let it just feels weird and not really abstractable to me. And I don't know. Mm. Does
0: guard let work the same way that if let now works now with multiple expressions? Yeah. Got
1: it. Yep. So you can do the optional unbinding stuff, but then you can also have like a where and you can have the where clause say like 5 greater than x or whatever and then return or whatever if uh if it doesn't make it. Mm-hmm. So it is nice though now that we have that cuz then you can just guard and everything below the guard is um usable like if you unwrap something within the guard, it's usable below it. Uh so that's nice. They also added a bunch of pattern matching stuff like if cases, while cases, I think even the case stuff in the normal switch case got better pattern matching abilities. I saw some article on like being able to use question mark inside like an underscore question mark where you don't care about the operator or you don't care about the variable. But the question mark is saying, I just care that it is an optional variable or something like that. I'm honestly not sure. I saw someone reference this and it looked interesting, but I have no idea what it's doing. Hmm. We'll try to dig that up. Yeah, I'll definitely try to dig that up because it was interesting, but again, I didn't, I didn't quite understand it. So I think there's a lot of stuff in Swift 2 that I'm excited about, but I haven't had enough time to play with a lot of it
0: really yet. Did you see that the standard lib is now documented on apple.com?
1: Uh, no. What? Yeah, I'm trying to find it.
0: Yeah, the, you know, the thing where you'd have to dive into the code and just read the header comments. It now actually has proper documentation for all of the types. In Swift. Oh, nice. I will just throw it in the show notes and send that to you later. Okay. There's also a, um, a Swift standard library playground.
1: Oh. Just for like
0: exploring the different
1: types in the standard library,
0: which is awesome.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. They also released that educational Git repo. Do you see that? I just saw that. That looks really cool. It looks like it's more for teaching educators of Swift how to teach it. So it's like a more
0: formal course that's sort of like Apple has designed this course and then right. experienced Swift developers can teach this to other people. That's awesome. I think it's great. Releasing it on GitHub, yeah. also awesome. Yeah, this is what their second major thing they've done, kinda
1: released to GitHub.
0: Yeah, research kit. And, and, now, and now this. And presumably, man, I I really hope that when Swift is open source, it's on GitHub. If it's on SourceForge, I'm gonna be really disappointed. Oh. What if it's on Apple open source? Also disappointed. That would be the worst. Any Anything except GitHub. Yeah. I'm going to be very
1: disappointed. Google code? <laughs> Google <Nope>. code. Bitbucket? <laughs> nope. That would be very weird. Yeah, I think it would be awesome to have it on GitHub. That's, I mean, if they're looking to have people contribute and help fix bugs and maybe even add features, GitHub is what I think the path to go. I mean, at this point, they should take everything that's on
0: opensource.apple.com and just move it over right like core foundation i'd
1: much rather peruse that on github than through their terrible website yeah oh yeah <laughs> Charitable website. right um i'm excited to see when they do release everything i'm excited to see the linux swift compilation tools mm-hmm. i personally would love to be able to write my apis and my apps in swift i think that'd be awesome yep yep
0: was there any sort of announcement about um being able to access cloud kit.
1: Yes, uh there's an http uh and a javascript library. They actually made a javascript library that you can pull into your code and, and use it almost I think the API is almost one for one with the uh mobile API. I don't want to brag, but I called that last year.
0: Oh yeah, I when mean, they announced swift and cloud kit. It's just
1: like it's only a matter of time before this is running on Heroku. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, they kind of had to. Like, when they first announced CloudKit, I was like, oh, sweet. Like, this is going to be, like, Parse, but better because, you know, it will be, like, Apple and I don't have to leave the Apple sanctions, uh, you know, stuff to use it. But then I was really sad and I was like, oh, well, I'm locked into Apple forever if I use this because I can't, like, export my data and I can't make an Android app that would also use this database. So I'm stuck. But actually, I still don't know if you can use Android because I think all the login stuff is your Apple iCloud login
0: stuff. Oh, interesting. You You know, I do wonder at some point if they're going to open that up outside of Apple devices, iCloud accounts. Uh, maybe. I think that would be a tough sell for most folks that are like on Android. Like they would think like, why? Why do I need to do this? I already right. have everything in Google. Right. I don't know. But if they could come up with some compelling reason, I'm also willing to wager that there are a lot of Android users that have an iPad. Yeah. I have a feeling yeah i bet i mean we already have apple ids yeah
1: i think the android phone ecosystem is a lot better than the android tablet ecosystem so i think it totally makes sense to have an android phone and an apple tablet although no apple watch no
0: (laughs) all right you got anything else
1: no i think that's it should we should we do an intro
0: or anything yeah, we'll, we'll get there after okay. after we organically work our way out of this conversation. <laughs> way wait, wait to ruin it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> is that, was right. that organic enough? Was it... Yeah, no, this is fine. Just, <laughs> we were in a swift stride there and just kind of stumbled a bit. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Just, no one listens this far in any way, so just relax.
1: Okay. It's so all good. You're...
0: Show notes can be found for this show at buildphase.fm slash and as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And finally, ratings and reviews on iTunes are always appreciated. Uh, thanks for being here. Good show, Tony. Yeah, thanks. It was fun to do it. All right, I'll talk to you later. Later.